it's a different paradigm working with 100 missions, give or take, than dealing with two or three very, very large missions. I think most people would be surprised at just how much is happening on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis um, that it would, it would really blow your mind. You have this focus on something that you helped develop from the very beginning all the way through to seeing it produce science that was just a dream at the very beginning of the project. You're listening to Small Steps, Giant Leaps, a NASA Apple Knowledge Services podcast featuring interviews and stories tapping into project experiences in order to unravel lessons learned, identify best practices, and discover novel ideas. I'm Dina Nunley. Our guest today is from NASA's Science Mission Directorate. We're going to talk about science, but the focus is going to be on engineering as we bring in the chief engineer for the Science Mission Directorate, Joe Gasberry. Joe, thank you for joining us. Sure. Let's start by talking about your role as the Science Mission Directorate Chief Engineer. What are some of the challenges of being an engineer, specifically chief engineer, in a mission directorate that focuses on science? So the Science Mission Directorate is the second largest mission directorate at NASA. The SMD group as a whole is focused on uh, science as an outcome, not necessarily a means to achieve that outcome. So when we're looking to get that groundbreaking science, it requires a a vast amount of engineering. Uh, Everything that people are familiar with from defining requirements to designing solutions to achieve those requirements, fabricating and testing the systems that, that we design, deploying and operating those systems, and then finally completing the mission and ending the mission gracefully. All that comes from the engineering side of SMD. And so the chief engineer uh, for the mission directorate is responsible for looking at all the technical progress that's going on across the mission directorate's broad portfolio and assessing whether there's issues that cross boundaries, that cross into areas that uh, other groups may not be thinking about. And and they provide that technical engineering voice that balances out uh, how the science and the scientists who are primarily those who run the leadership positions for the, the, the different divisions within SMD to provide them with a, a, a technical engineering view of, of how their projects and programs are, are progressing. That, that is a challenge. Uh, there, you know, like I said, most of the people in the mission directorate at NASA headquarters are scientists. Uh, there's a good mix of engineers, but, but again, they really rely on our expertise as the, uh, as the chief engineers to provide them that information that, that they require uh, when they're trying to assess uh, how a project is progressing and whether it's achieving its goals, right? Will it, will it be launched on time? Will it meet the requirements that, that we laid out for it, that we set out when we either competed uh, a project or a program or directed it to be done to get a very particular high value uh, piece of science? And so the, the SMD chief engineer occupies a, a, an interesting role in that respect. It may also be worth pointing out that chief engineer of a mission directorate is a, is a different term than a chief engineer maybe for a particular activity like a project or a program. Um, many of the different NASA centers and organizations throughout both government and private industry have different names for the, the lead technical person on a project. Uh, some people refer to it as chief engineer. 
other people refer to it as the mission systems engineer, the lead systems engineer, the, the chief architect. Uh, many terms uh, describe that position. That's a very different thing than being an organizational chief engineer, such as the, the SMD chief engineer, which um, in, in our case, it's, it's about assessing across multiple projects and programs. Uh, when you're on a single project or program, you're looking at the completing the technical implementation of that project and making sure that you're looking across the project. And so it's a different uh, scope that you're dealing with at, at a mission directorate level. How would you describe your working relationship with the chief engineers of NASA science programs and projects across the agency? It's a very good relationship that we have. We, we tend to touch base on a very regular basis, uh, usually every week or every other week, with the different implementing uh, NASA centers, because most of SMD's projects and programs are run through one of the NASA centers. Uh, and so similar to the science mission director, chief engineer, each center has a chief engineer or, or a lead engineer. And so working with those people to understand more directly what's going on with the projects and programs at their center is very important uh, because they have a view at a, at a lower level that we may not necessarily be able to, to see from, from where we sit. And so there's a really good informa information exchange on a regular basis with the NASA Center chief engineers. And then on particular projects and programs, uh, we, we get to meet with those technical leads on a, on a fairly regular basis, usually on a quarterly basis. But we also make sure that we open our door um, whenever there's any kind of technical or uh, other concern on a project, that, that if there's something that they see that they want us to be aware of, they all know how to get in touch with us, if, if not directly for some of our larger programs. They can always work with their center chief engineer or in some cases, the science mission directorate has broken up the work into programs, and there's actually a program chief engineer that's assigned at a NASA center, and that would be the person that they would work through, and then that person would get in touch with us. It's a good relationship. A, a lot of the people that work as chief engineers or mission systems engineers on our larger projects um, have decades of experience doing this. And so it, it's one of those things where Nobody has the right answer all the time. And so we tend to bounce ideas off of each other, learn from each other as we go along. You know, just like any other uh, relationship, it's, it's important that you're always listening and understanding uh, the concerns that that particular person has and trying to see it from their point of view. What's the biggest impact or perhaps lasting influence a chief engineer has on projects? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. We, um, as the, as the lead technical person on a project, uh, you're, you're in a unique and singular position to influence how the shape of that project takes hold from, if you're lucky enough to have been on the project from the very beginning when, when the original concept was put together. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people refer to that period as, as, you know, NASA projects are broken up into phases, and they refer to that phase as either pre-phase A or phase A. Uh, in, the, in that phase, a, a lot of the initial shaping of the molding of the clay starts. Um, and if you're a, a chief engineer or mission systems engineer that's involved in that part of the process, you, you can start to direct kind of the high-level technical trades uh, about 
uh, that project at, at that early stage. And then when we move into uh, the end of the, the formulation phase, which in the NASA vernacular is uh, pre-phase A, phase A, and phase B, we have a crossover point at our preliminary design review or PDR where a project is ready to move into implementation. The project gets confirmed uh, as a, an official project that's going to move forward into implementation. That, that happens That's a, usually a NASA headquarters, a big NASA headquarters meeting uh, called the Key Decision Point C. Uh, and then from that point on, it's, it's about taking the, the design uh, that fell out of that concept that as the chief engineer, you helped mold and actually putting it into action. You know, we're, we're going to start making engineering models or test units uh, to, to check out some of our more complex, maybe not so sure that this design is the way that we would want to go. And then progressing through to fabrication of the, the flight unit, the thing that's actually going to go either up into space or on a balloon or in an aircraft. And in that phase, as the chief engineer, your position is one of checking to make sure all the different people and, and items and activities are, are happening in, in unison. That's a very challenging thing. You usually have a whole team of people that, that are helping you on your systems engineering team to work those seams or gaps. Any project that I've ever seen, you know, you always have issues with seams and gaps. You know, this group may not necessarily be, be aware of what's going on uh, with another part of the project. And so un making sure that somebody's covering to make sure that they are working together and they're not pursuing different goals is, is a real challenge. And, and that comes to a head during the, the implementation phase through fabrication and then environmental test. It happens at the end of the implementation phase where the project is taken through a rigorous test program that simulates its flight environment. Um, and for spaceflight programs, that's usually a, a series of uh, vibration tests, tests to check electromagnetic compatibility, and then finally a, a thermal test, a thermal vacuum test, which is essentially a space simulation test, space environment simulation test. And if you get through all that, uh, you get the pleasure of stacking your, your beloved project up on a rocket and watching it launch uh, to space if it's a spaceflight project and hoping that it gets placed into the right orbit. And then from there, the chief engineer's role is really to make sure that the checkout, once it's on orbit, uh, happens uh, the way that, that people are expecting it to, so that you can then turn the project over to those that will operate it, usually a group of people that are specialized mission operators, uh, as well as the science team. In a science mission directorate mission, the ultimate goal is to turn the ownership of everything that you built over to the, the chief scientist or the principal investigator on our what are called PI-led missions um, so that they can go get the valuable science that, that everybody was expecting from them. And so the lasting influence of the chief engineer is seeing that science come through, come down, and seeing all the great work that's done that's put up in the news media, in academic papers, in findings, follow-on activities, to see that all the hard work you put in for, you know, in some cases, we've got projects such as the James Webb Space Telescope that where people will have spent 10 or 15 years of their career on the same project. And so they're going to look back when James Webb delivers that exquisite science, and they should be very proud of what they were able to achieve. That's a great explanation. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, no problem. You've worked at both the center and the agency level in technical leadership positions. 
what are some of the similarities and differences of the agency perspective versus a center perspective? When you work, again, generally at a, at a NASA center, you are involved in the planning and execution of a, of a, a particular project. Or, or in some cases, if you're like an organizational technical leader or chief engineer, Sometimes you're involved in implementation of several projects at once, especially at some of our larger uh, NASA centers like uh, Goddard Space Flight Center or, or NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. But you are focused on those projects and seeing that they get through. You're not necessarily looking at, you know, cross uh, multiple projects across multiple groups. Many times, if, if you're focused on SMD missions, you're not necessarily paying that close attention to what's going on in human spaceflight or uh, aeronautics or in our space technology mission directorate, the, the kinds of work that they're doing. And so you, you really don't have that much time to pop up and, and kind of see what's going on across the entire agency. So you rely on people working at the agency level to provide you that information. And so when you move up to, to work at the agency level, your job is to really provide that kind of information and guidance to the centers and the, and the chief engineers and the people working those projects in real time. You also have this responsibility at the agency level, which is, is different than at the center level, for supplying information and guidance to the, the people who are making longer-term decisions. Uh, a lot of times with uh, SMD or at the agency, they're developing policy. There, there's a lot more focus on developing positions with respect to what are we doing across the entire portfolio? What are we doing to address the needs of our members of Congress and their particular information that they're writing into different appropriations language, if you will? And then, you know, what, what can we do to improve the agency across the board? You know, is there something in project management improvement? So we have activities going on at headquarters right now, in which a lot of the mission director, chief engineers, and the office of chief engineers involved to improve project and program management, um, something that we are responding to actions from the, the agency and from the government accountability office. And so those are the things that usually at the center level, you're not thinking about uh, because you've got a job to do to execute these particular projects. And so you're, you're kind of glad <laughs> Uh, for the, the agency people to cover that for you. And luckily, those people are there to take care of that so you can, you can get your job done. Let's switch gears and look back at some of your previous roles. What's it like to do in-house spaceflight hardware development at one of NASA's small centers, such as Langley Research Center, which primarily does research? I think the first thing to keep in mind is that NASA is, in general, fairly unique in the federal government that we do have at every center in the agency, including the research centers, we have people on the centers doing spaceflight hardware work, uh, whether that's a very small project or research technology development project or something as large as part of uh, the Mars 2020 uh, rovers that are being built and integrated in-house at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. It is kind of a unique position if you look at a lot of the other government labs and agencies. It's not that usual that, that they're doing that kind of work. And, and so it is something to be proud of as, as a 
somebody who works at NASA that that we have people that can can do this very complicated work and do it well. And so at at a small center like NASA Langley, we we don't tend to focus on spaceflight as our primary goal. Although I, I would say that over the the decades, the way that we approach what's done in space versus what uh, used to be called fundamental research um, has changed. Uh, we, we, we tend to kind of mix up the different buckets quite a bit. Uh, we, we tend to have people who contribute the deep knowledge that they have from being involved in research projects to provide information and subject matter expertise on the execution of spaceflight projects. And so it happens on a less frequent basis but it, it does happen where a small center, a research center, has a project that is focused on a particular science measurement or a particular item that they need to deliver where they're doing the work in-house at the smaller center. And so I had the opportunity to work on a project where it was an Earth-observing project called the Stratospheric Aerosol and Gas Experiment, uh, or SAGE. It was actually the fifth generation of that uh, instrument and NASA Langley had contributed to and had managed that project uh, over the last three decades. It was a project that contributed to some of the information that led to things like the Montreal Protocol. Uh, if you remember, in the uh, you know mid 1980s, there was a lot of concern about chlorofluorocarbons and having a hole in the ozone layer, and so there was a lot of concern about the depletion of the ozone layer. and And the Sage measurements were part of the measurements that led to seeing that there was a decline in the ozone layer. And then once the world got together uh, and, and signed the Montreal Protocol, which led to the ban of CFCs uh, across the world, we're able to continue that measurement and, and that record to show the recovery of the ozone layer uh, that we hope that continues. That, that when we launched uh, SAGE-3 in 2017, we uh, were hoping to see the tail end of the continuity uh, in the record of the ozone layer to see that it was recovering as, as uh, scientists had hoped. And so that was a very particular atmospheric composition science goal that Langley had always had a, a piece of. And so that was an opportunity to, to work on an in-house spaceflight development at a smaller center. And, there, and there's examples at Glenn Research Center, um, at Ames Research Center, which are the two other uh, main research centers within the agency, where they have you know, these areas that they're working in. Now, the other thing that happens quite often at, at the research centers is uh, they get involved in technology development. So a lot of spaceflight hardware development, uh, in-house hardware development happens around turning some of the research that they've worked on into a demonstration that, that flies in space. And so uh, it's kind of a unique thing. Uh, working at a, a small center, there's not as many uh, resources. There's not as much emphasis on spaceflight hardware development as you might find at like a Goddard Spaceflight Center or a Johnson Space Center. And so you have to make do. Uh, you have to understand that you don't have a, a whole group of people that are familiar with this from doing it over and over and over again. And so you, it, it actually puts a lot more emphasis on uh, the, the teamwork and the work of the chief engineer and some of the technical leads to make sure that they're watching those seams and those gaps between the different areas because your independent people on any particular part of the project may may not, this may be the first time or the second time that they've 
ever done this. Um, and so they may not be as experienced at understanding, hey, you know, if I change the size of this, this electronics box, that's going to have the, all these effects to the rest of the project. So that, that's a, a very uh, unique experience. I will say that smaller projects, uh, such as those that happen at, at research centers, and, and again, projects of all sizes happen at the larger space flight centers, that it does give you a very good appreciation for the entire project life cycle, for all the effects that go into it, something that allows you to apply that to multiple scenarios and multiple missions. Um, and so it, it, it gave me a, quite a leg up uh, when I saw that uh, same process repeat on in multiple projects, when I came up to the the agency to help out in the science mission directorate as the as the chief engineer, what are a few of the missions you're working on now that garner a lot of interest? The science mission directorate we have over forty missions in either formulation or implementation. So stepping through the different phases of development prior to launch. Uh, and then we have another 55 or so that are either in operations or uh, extended operations, things that have been, you know, like the classic example is the, the Voyager missions. You know, they've been operating for, you know, 40 years. And so we look at all of those projects, the, the ones that stand out that are in development right now. Obviously, the James Webb Space Telescope is a large effort, you know, has been going on for 10 plus years, getting very close to being completed. And so we watch that one very carefully. Um, Mars 2020 is another large project that will launch in July of 2020. It's another flagship mission that's nearing completion. And then, you know, on the smaller end, we've, we've got a tremendous amount of missions. Um, in fact, uh, here within a couple of weeks, we'll be launching the Orbiting Carbon Observatory 3 or OCO3. Uh, that is a mission that will be launched to the International Space Station, something that is very similar to the, the SAGE 3 mission that I launched, which also went to the International Space Station. And that is also a follow-on to a mission that had been going for a very long time called OCO2. And so OCO3 will, will carry that measurement where it'll be mapping, uh, measuring and mapping carbon dioxide in detail across the entire globe. Um, a very important measurement uh, when, when you start to talk about you know, sources of carbon dioxide and sinks of carbon dioxide and what the different processes are that create different areas of atmospheric carbon dioxide, both uh, man-made and, and natural. And then, and then, you know, we the other focus in the science mission directorate over the last uh, two or three years has been what can we do to increase the number of missions? And so we we've been spending a lot of time looking at small satellite missions, uh, things where we can launch, you know, multiple spacecraft at once, perhaps um, have a, a fleet or a constellation of, of different spacecraft that all make up a mission. And so there's a couple uh, missions in early development that are, are looking at that. Uh, one mission that was launched a few years ago was kind of a precursor mission uh, that launched out of the Earth Science Division within the Science Mission Directorate called Cygnus. That is a mission that's, that looks at tropical cyclone development. And so that, that's a, a very early example of what we can do with a constellation. Um, they're producing science uh, that is very important for people who worry about things like hurricanes and tropical cyclones in, in Asia. And so that we have missions going in heliophysics. Uh, I was 
lucky enough to be part of the launch uh, campaign and the, and the launch of the Parker Solar Probe uh, last summer. Uh, that was a tremendous uh, mission that uh, is going to bring back some information about the sun that we've never been able to gather. It's going to get closer to the sun than any mission that's ever launched. And so we have a we have a quite a portfolio. It's it's a different paradigm working with a hundred missions, give or take, than dealing with two or three very very large missions. Keeping track of them all is one of the jobs of a of a chief engineer. So far, what has been your most rewarding project, science, or research to be involved in? It's really hard to beat being a project chief engineer mainly because you you have this focus on something that you helped develop from the very beginning all the way through to seeing it produce science that was just a dream at the very beginning of the project and so i would think as a as a career uh something that's impacted me so far has been that experience that i had uh as a as a project chief engineer uh on the on the sage 3 mission that we like i said we launched back in 2017 that said, the the last uh, year and a half up here at, at NASA headquarters working in the Science Mission Directorate, there's been multiple things that I've been involved in that have, have really had an impact on, on the way that I see uh, not only my career, but really NASA in general. We had a year in calendar year 2018 in SMD where we, I think we supported something like eight or nine launches, which is one of the highest number of launches that we've ever had in SMD. And so there were two or three of those that really were challenging. Uh, Parker Solar Probe is one that I that I mentioned that that one had a, a few little issues and hangups toward the very end. And so it was very re- rewarding to see that uh, launch and it launched on a Delta four heavy, uh, which is a extra large uh, launch vehicle. And so a very impressive launch uh, from Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral uh, down in Florida. And then uh, I think one of the last ones in 2018 that I remembered actually being at was the ISAT-2 launch, which was uh, launched out of uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base out in California. Uh, and that's a, a mission that has a, a laser that's measuring uh, ice elevation uh, from a polar orbit. And, you know, I early in my career had the opportunity to work on the Calypso mission, which is another uh, space-based laser LIDAR mission. Um, and so that the ISAT-2 mission was something that I was paying very close attention to. But yeah, I mean, it's it's very hard to really point out one particular project or, or event because you know the whole time I've been up at, at the science mission director and in this position, it's been a it's been really been a joy to work here uh, to experience the the day to day flow of information and activity. And and I would say it's not, sometimes it's almost overwhelming uh, how how much gets done across the agency. That you know, I think most people would be surprised at just how much is happening on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. Um, that it would it would really blow your mind. And how long have you been with NASA, and how long have you been with SMD? So I've been a NASA civil servant for almost twenty years. I started as a cooperative education student back at at NASA Langley uh, in Hampton, Virginia. You know, right out of undergrad. I was an aerospace engineering student at Penn State University, actually, in Pennsylvania. Uh, had the opportunity to do a, a cooperative education rotation at NASA Langley, uh, jumped at the chance, and basically never left. I, I had the opportunity to get hired on uh, at a time when uh, NASA wasn't hiring that many people. And 
that just kind of blossomed into a career where, you know, for whatever reason, I had the opportunity to be placed on a, a few different flight projects, um, you know, on these very narrow areas that, that NASA Langley was working with science on. And then I had the opportunity after my rotation as a chief engineer on the Sage 3 mission to come up to headquarters and to work with the uh, office of the chief engineer and, and be the, the SMD chief engineer for uh, a period of time. And it's been a, a year and a half that I've been in this position and, um, you know, I'll, I'll rotate back to NASA Langley uh, and they'll they'll have somebody else come in here and do this job. But it, it has been uh, something that I'll never be able to forget. So from your vantage point, after 20 years with the agency, how do you see NASA's workforce demographics factoring into planning and executing science and engineering projects? NASA is not that dissimilar from a lot of other areas of the federal government. We, we have a, a large group of people that have worked at NASA for, for many decades. There's a bubble, in fact, of, of people who have, have you know, 25 to 30 years of experience or more who are in a position within the next five to 10 years to, to retire. And there, there really was a period within NASA from about the mid 1990s through about 2004 2005 where where there was very few people hired and so demographically we we have a, a challenge ahead of us to ensure that as the the very experienced uh, engineers and and scientists are leaving that we can fill all those gaps and and it's really comes down to making sure that the group not only that is right behind them, the, the, the demographic group that I'm in, you know, people with 15 to 25 to, you know, years of experience, but the groups of people that we've hired in the last five to 10 years, that we get them the right uh, hands-on training uh, so that they know how to execute our different projects. And, and that, that's where having some experience working in-house engineering development and spaceflight projects is absolutely critical. Keeping that workforce uh, sharp, you know, they are, they understand at a component level uh, what it takes to to get different work done. So that later in their career, when you know maybe it's a larger project, maybe it's a different project, they're being the cognizant subject matter expert or oversight on a project that you know maybe uh, one of our great prime contractors, you know, industry partners, commercial industry are, are executing, that you have that experience to back up what that contractor's doing and to, to understand how they're, how they're executing. And so, you know, that, that, that has been a challenge because the, the, the numbers have been out of proportion. Um, and, and I think NASA's, through hiring initiatives that I've seen over the last three to five years have, have been really on this kick of, hey, you know, we need to start hiring. We need to start bringing in people who are coming straight out of college or maybe some of our contractors who only have a few years of experience. Would they be interested in becoming a civil servant? Those are things that are really picking up steam. And I expect to pick up even more steam over the next, you know, five to 10 years. But, but it, it is a challenge. We, you know, it's going to fall in a lot of way, ways. It's going to fall on this smaller group of, of people that are um, you know, just from a numbers perspective, there's just not that many people in that 20 plus year experience gap to be able to, to bridge that gap to that next uh, uh, generation that's coming online uh, right now. Very interesting. Something to definitely keep an eye on. Joe, thanks for taking time to talk with us today. Yeah, thank you. And uh, it was uh, my pleasure. 
always available. And if anybody ever has any questions, uh, I'm sure you can get my contact information. Always happy to chat with, with anybody that's interested. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I would just like to say that working at NASA is just as exciting as everybody has described it. <laughs> um, I think there's a, a, a lot of thought that maybe, you know, you grow up, you see NASA and you hear about the Apollo days and the shuttle days launching the International Space Station. And you may think that, you know, all the all the good stuff is behind us, but that's not the world that I've seen. We have uh, a lot of exciting work that is being put on our plate. And it's just as exciting, if not more exciting than you imagined when you were 10 or 12 years old uh, watching a rocket launch. And so I, I would say to the people that are thinking about going into engineering or science as a, as a career, come on board. We would love to have you and you'll have a great time. You'll find links to topics mentioned on the show today, along with Joe's bio and a transcript on our website at apple.nasa.gov slash podcast. We'd like to hear your ideas for future shows. If you want to suggest a guest or topic, please let us know on Twitter at NASA Apple and use the hashtag small steps, giant leaps. If you haven't already, here's a quick reminder to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode of Small Steps, Giant Leaps. Thanks for listening.